Thank you guys, that was beautiful. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn with it, turn in it with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look this evening uh, at verses 1 through 5 there. Maybe not a text you've heard preached at, at Christmas before. I'll see if I can tie it together for us. As you're turning there, though, I want to tell you about a woman I heard about once, and she had a funny way of reading novels. She would go to the bookstore, and she would browse through the novels, and if she saw one that struck her eye, she would read the last chapter straight away, start at the end. And by reading the last chapter, she would be able to tell whether or not this was a story that she wanted to invest her time in whether or not this was a story worth being a part of, whether it was a story worth expending time and energy and life on. And I highlight that because Revelation chapter 21 is basically the last chapter. It's the last chapter of the story that the Bible tells us about life and about the world and about us and who we are and what we're doing here and what's gone wrong and how it gets fixed. And the question is before us tonight, is this a story worth being a part of? Is this a story worth spending time and energy on? This is Revelation chapter 21. I'll read verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is God's word to us tonight. Would you pray with me? Our great God, this word to us is almost too good to be believed. It's almost too great a promise to make sense to us. And Father, we pray tonight that you would send your spirit to us. Uh, that you would give us understanding, that you would encourage us, that you would build us up, that you would show us the good news here in Christ's name. Amen. Why are you here tonight? It's a great question. I'm not going to browbeat you, uh, but why are you here tonight? You know, maybe coming to a Christmas Eve service is a family tradition, and you've done it for as long as you can remember. Maybe coming here is uh, because you think Christmas is really about Jesus, and before the, the festivities of tomorrow... You want to come and put in your time with Jesus. Maybe you're here with your family, or maybe you're here with your church family, and you want to celebrate with the people around you. Maybe you just think candlelight services are beautiful, and you like the part at the end where we light things on fire. Maybe you're here and you're hoping to just get some warm fuzzies, uh, just a little warmth for the Christmas season. Maybe you're here tonight and you've come because it reminds you of your childhood. Uh, And you just have great memories of Christmas and celebrating Christmas with your family and being home as a child. Why are you here tonight? I think that one of our 
great theological works, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a children's Bible written for two to five-year-olds. Uh, it suggests maybe something a little deeper about maybe some of the things we feel around the Christmas season. Uh, but before I tell you what it says, let me explain why it says it. You see, we live in a world that's broken. And it's broken because of sin. And sin is simply the fact that at some point we decided to rebel against the God who created us and the God who loves us and who gave us everything that we have. And we decided we didn't want anything to do with him and we walked away. We rebelled, we walked away, we chose our own way, we walked away from our home, we walked away from our father and that all of the evil and the death and the pain and the brokenness that we experience in this life all stems from that fact. And so the Jesus Storybook Bible, when it starts talking about and it's explaining the story of Adam and Eve, the time when sin entered into God's good creation, it says this, and it's beautiful. It says, God loved his children too much to let the story end there with their sin. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream one day, he would get his children back. One day, he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day, he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And though they would forget him... And though they would run far from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him, lost children yearning for their home. You see, what I want to suggest is that all of the warm feelings that we have about Christmas, all of the tradition, all of the singing, all of the warmth, all of the, the sentimentality is really this, that we are longing for our home. Longing for the world made right. Longing for the time when God could dwell with his people. This isn't a picture of, of our home growing up. That's not what we're longing for. This isn't just nostalgia for our past. We are longing and yearning for our true home. A home where the world is made right. Our forever home. Our eternal home. And if you've been with us at all during this Christmas season, we've talked a lot about longing and we've talked a lot about yearning and we've talked about the brokenness of the world and we've talked about homesickness that we feel as we try to live in this broken world. Well, tonight, why we're looking at Revelation 21 is I want to show you what it is we're longing for. I want to show you the snapshot that the Bible gives us of our forever home. And that snapshot shows us a world in which God dwells with us forever. And a world in which all things have been made new. So if you look there at verse 3 in chapter 21, uh, a loud voice from the throne declares, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. In our forever home, God is with us. God dwells with us, and he is with us and dwells with us and lives with us because the thing that separates us from him has been dealt with. And that thing is sin. Sin has been dealt with. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. 
But what Scripture shows us is that God wants to dwell with us. God wants to live with His people. That's the entire story of Scripture. The master promise that He makes to His people in the Old Testament is that I will be your God and you will be my people. And we see throughout the Old Testament God making arrangements for that. God makes a tabernacle for His people so that He can physically dwell among them. And He gives them a series of of sacrifices so that their sin doesn't endanger their lives in the presence of His holiness. God makes arrangements to dwell among His people. The same thing with the temple. When God had a temple built in the Old Testament, He had a physical address in the world. He dwelt with His people. And again, He gave them sacrifices And he gave them a system of cleanness and uncleanness to protect themselves from his holiness. That their sin would not endanger their lives. And at the end of the day, what those things did, what the tabernacle did, what the temple did, what the sacrifices did, is they pointed the way towards something better. Something even better than than God dwelling there among them in the temple. They were pointing the way to Emmanuel. And Emmanuel simply means God with us. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came and called himself Emmanuel. He was God with us. But what's beautiful about this picture and what's beautiful about the snapshot of home that we get in this passage is that we realize that Jesus is not just Emmanuel himself. God is not just dwelling with us in the person of Jesus when he was here on earth. Jesus makes Emmanuel possible. Jesus makes Emmanuel possible. He makes it possible for this picture to happen of God dwelling among us. And he does that because when he was here on earth, he obeyed God perfectly. And having obeyed God perfectly, he went and died a sinner's death, even though he had done nothing wrong. And in those two things, in his obedience and in his death, Our sin was dealt with. You see, Jesus is the reason that God can dwell with his people forever. Now, I wanted to notice something else here, and this is kind of a sidebar, but it's kind of not. I want you to notice that God doesn't bring us up to heaven. Right? Did you notice that in the passage? Like, we don't go up to heaven and live there for eternity. What happens is God brings heaven down. In in Scripture, that's always the way it works. God comes to us. We don't ever go to God. God brings heaven here. God sets up eternity here on earth. God dwells here on earth among his people forever. It's a beautiful picture. In other words, all of this life is not about escaping and flinging off this mortal coil and flying to a spiritual realm. But we will dwell here with our God, with our Creator, with our Father and our Redeemer here on earth. And if we're honest, maybe that sounds a little disheartening. Because this world doesn't always feel like home. It doesn't feel like the home we're longing for. Because all we know in this world is this mixed world where there's suffering alongside goodness. And there's pain and brokenness and death. Well, the good news for us is that God, just like God's holiness can't be in the presence of sin, with God coming to dwell here, God will not dwell in a broken world. 
and God will make all things new. That's the promise there in verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. And he tells us what that looks like. And it's beautiful. He tells us that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That there will be no more mourning. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying. Because the old things, pain, death, tears, those things have passed away. You see, our tears are wiped away, not because there was nothing to cry about. Our tears are wiped away because there's no more death. There's no more pain. We live in a world made new, not a world that's been destroyed. This is a world made new. You see, this is the final triumph of Christ our King. Yes, he came and dealt with sin, but when God comes to dwell with us for eternity, his final triumph is the world is made new. Brokenness is erased. This place becomes our true, eternal, forever home. This is a world that will be full of peace. And the ancient Hebrews had a word for that peace, and that word is shalom. And a lot of times we think about peace as if it is the absence of conflict. Well, hey, we didn't have a fight today. We had a peaceful house. Right? That's not the case here. It's not just the absence of something, but shalom is much richer. It's the presence of something. It's the presence of goodness, the presence of wholeness, the presence of, of flourishing. It is a world the way it's supposed to be. And this picture that we get here is beautiful. A world that is made new, that is full of shalom, where God comes and dwells among us. And so, what does that mean for us in the meantime? How do we deal with our lives in the meantime if that's where we are headed? I think one thing this does is this completely changes the way we experience suffering. Again, notice that the tears that God wipes away from our eyes, God doesn't just say, hey, things weren't really that bad, get over it now. That's not what he says. God is not indifferent to the pain that we experience in this life. God wipes away our tears and he ends mourning. And so we can experience our suffering by recognizing that our suffering is not the end of our story. Your suffering here is not the end of your story. It is not the last page of your story. It is a chapter. And there's a whole lot more chapters to come without it. And it means that we learn to live like this story is true. And that means that we're able to recognize that the best things we experience in this life, the most beautiful things, the most whole things, are actually a taste of our eternal home. 100 years ago tonight, in Christmas Eve of 1914, Private Henry Williamson actually got a taste of our eternal home. He was a soldier in World War I. Uh, he was from England. And you can imagine on Christmas Eve, uh, if you're at war, you're longing for home, longing for family, longing for comfort, longing for warmth. He was in a trench in a field in France. He was waist deep in freezing water. This was not a pleasant night. He had been, uh, he, was, he was 60 yards away from a German trench uh, that was full of German soldiers that if he stuck his head up, they would shoot. Uh, this was not a safe place, this was a perilous place, and he'd been awake for days fighting, 
and he dozed off. And he awoke to German shouting. They shouted, Hoke, Hoke, Hoke. And so he wakes up and, is, and he's startled and he grabs his gun and he sticks his head up over the, the edge of the trench, just his eyes, so he can see what's happening. And he sees something strange. He sees that there are German soldiers walking along the parapet, which is kind of the, the ridge that's right in front of the trench. There are German soldiers walking up on top of their, their trench, and not only are they walking out, they have set up a Christmas tree on Christmas Eve in 1914. And with that, he hears baritone singing, which I will not seek to imitate. But it says, Stille Nacht, Heilge Nacht, Alles schlaft, Einsam wacht. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. And with that, the British soldiers climb out of their trench and they cross no man's land. And they meet the German soldiers there in the middle and the strangest thing happens. They start to celebrate Christmas. They exchange gifts. They sing together. They pray together. They go and worship together. Some of them receive the Lord's Supper together. And this peace, this Christmas peace broke out up and down the lines that Christmas Eve in 1914. You see, Jesus brought peace to a world that was full of violence, a world that was full of pain and brokenness and bloodshed. He brought peace that night. Henry Williamson actually wrote a letter the next day reflecting on what had happened the night before. And listen to what he says. It's amazing. He says, It was like being in another world to which one had come through a nightmare, a world finer than the one I had left behind in England. And back again in the wood, it seemed so strange that we had not been fired upon. Wonderful that the mud was gone. Wonderful to walk easily on the paths, to be dry to be able to sleep again. The wonder remained in the low golden light of a white-rimmed Christmas morning. I could hardly realize it, but my chronic, hopeless longing to be home was gone. My chronic, hopeless longing to be home was gone. You see, that night he got a taste of the peace that will be ours. And it made him recognize that the home he longed for was not the home that he was missing back in England, but was something bigger, was a world made right. And experiencing that peace made him feel like the longing was somehow more bearable. He was longing for that world made new. And so tonight, as we celebrate the birth of Christ... We have to recognize that his birth was the first page in a plan where God declared at the beginning, peace on earth and goodwill to men. And that plan ends right here at Revelation 21. A world made new, where God dwells with us in a world that no longer has any brokenness. A world that ends in triumph, where everything sad has come untrue that ends with us in an eternal home. Would you pray with me?